0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 639.
1: You must always strive to be the best, but you must never believe you are.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Jim Hazen. Hey Jim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am, Mark.
0: All right. (laughs) Great to have you here. Jim Hazen is the founder and owner of the Driver's Society. Where they create exclusive accessories for the automotive enthusiasts, both men and women. Their products are inspired by historic motorsports and classic automotive design. He works with designers, artists, and artisan manufacturers who conceive and produce the finest products available. Whenever possible, he utilizes materials derived from classic and modern cars and incorporates them into his products. The goal is to offer accessories and apparel that fuel the passion we enthusiasts have and bring a special style into our lives. Jim is the former chairman of the Aston Martin Owners Club, North America East, and he's an avid proponent of racing pre-1960 vintage cars. Very cool. So, Jim, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment share a little bit more about your career, your business, and, of course, your passion for automobiles?
1: Sure. Thanks, Mark. My career, I, I guess in my, my business career, I have always worked in creative businesses. And by that, I mean, I've been in the theater, I've worked in television, I've been in advertising and design, I had a small furniture manufacturing business, and I've done a lot of branding work with companies that are large corporations down to very small startups. The Driver Society is sort of a natural extension of all those different kind of creative businesses that I've been involved in. But it also was a way to marry my enthusiasm for cars and for classic cars especially. And what I've really enjoyed about the business is the ability to work, as you said, with these very creative people, the artists, the photographers, the designers that we work with from virtually around the world to create the products and, and also looking at new products that we're going to be able to introduce.
0: I got really excited when I learned about your company and learned about what you do. And I'm an automotive enthusiast, as my listeners know. I have been my whole life. And when I look through your products, I do get that sense of, okay, this is a guy who understands cars. He understands quality. He understands how you combine those two to provide an accessory item for us enthusiasts to make us look and feel really cool. So I'm very excited to have you here. And as we continue on your journey, we're going to learn a lot more about what you're doing. But first. I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or some kind of mantra, something that is Uh, instrumental in forming your life. Yeah, it's a nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Jim, take the wheel.
1: Ah, Well, okay. I have to go to Fangio.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And there's a quote from him that has always meant something to me, meant a tremendous amount, and it is, you must always strive to be the best, but you must never believe you are. (laughs) But <laughs> I thought, as for him, as great as he was, and you know everything I've read, he was a very humble guy right. uh, throughout his life. And I just thought that's just a wonderful quote. I mean, it basically means you want to do as well as you can, but don't get too big for your britches.
0: Yeah, I don't believe your own press, as they say. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, he was a, a great, great driver, of course. And I never had the pleasure of meeting him. Well, briefly, he signed something for me at Laguna Seca one year when he was there oh, really wow. way, way back. But, uh, you know, never got to spend real time with him. As I understand, yes, that was very much the kind of man he is. Well, how have you incorporated that concept into this business that you're developing?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, it. it when we look to develop a product, I have uh, – there's really two or three main things. One is, as you said, the incorporation of materials if we can it's something that is a unique design and and we strive like we have pieces that are made from Barani aluminum. Mm. And in doing that, we really worked to create a piece that was as true to the actual design. And when I mean that, even down to the details of the, of the letters on the actual small pieces so that they were similar to what would be on an actual Barani wheel. Ah. And by, and and also in doing that, we had to find the company that could do the modeling, that could do the casting, and have the patience to be able to work with the aluminum. And there's very few companies like that out there where we're very fortunate to find one. And that's the type of people we build long-term relationships with so that they can then go on and build other products for us. Right. But it is really – what I found in doing this business, it's not only been a you know coming up with the ideas and creating them, but everything has its own – Small engineering challenge that has to be overcome, and it may be how you can actually use a piece of car material that is Alcantara from car seats and how you turn that into a product and how well that will work as a product that has to be you know you wear it around your waist like right. a belt sure or how we're able to translate a painting by an artist in Greece of a Formula One car into a scarf and where there we were able to find a Company in Italy to make the scars for us that does super high quality digital printing on silk mm. so each one of those has been a challenge and but it's been great fun to be able to do that. It's been wonderful when we actually see the product made and then can get it into the
0: marketplace very cool. well, let's go back in time a little bit. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life as you remember it when you realized that you were a car guy?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's so funny when you when this question was on here, I thought back to this. I as a as a very as a boy, I grew up in Texas. And a friend's, I think he might have been an uncle. He was a young guy, but he had a I want to say it was a 1967 66 Corvette and it was a 427 side pipes it was an absolute animal <laughs> and i remember going out on that car in that car and on roads outside of dallas and the guy just hammering that thing and it was absolutely frightening but it was the most exciting And when i say frightening it would go it was beautiful in the straight line but when that when that flat texas road had to make a turn <laughs> yes <laughs> that that car was not the best for that
0: those are point and shoot cars <laughs>
1: exactly So that really, I got out of that and I thought, wow, this is really the greatest thing ever. But that really got me excited.
0: Yeah, so many for us and so many of my past guests, it's been an experience with somebody's car, an uncle, a dad, a grandfather, the kid down the street building a hot rod, whatever that really kicked it off for us. So what fun. Well, nice way to be introduced to cars too in a 66-67 Corvette 427. Very nice.
1: It's a little bit different than the family in Palace.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That that was what was great. Yeah. For me, it was a neighbor up the street with a Porsche Speedster, which was quite, Ah. quite different than our Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser station wagon. So, yes. Most definitely. Well, Jim, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along your way. The most important part of this, of course, has to do with what did that situation teach you so you could move forward? So take us to that painful time, but kind of walk us through how you got out of it, and how it helped you. I,
1: I think that it's almost like I'd say there have been a number of painful times. I think that happens in anyone's career. But what? And I, and I go back to working on, well, I'll, I'll say working in the business of helping companies do branding. Mm-hmm. And we would work for months to work on a project. And, and in, in case I I'm not actually going to go into exactly what those are because some of it still is even a little bit proprietary.
0: Sure, no problem.
1: But what I found was no matter how much effort you would put into it, and this kind of goes back to the the Fangio quote, I mean, you do your absolute best, but there may be circumstances outside of your control that you absolutely may not think are going to happen. Um, it may be something that you didn't see coming. And it, it not only does it kind of derail what you're doing, but it may even scuttle your entire relationship with that business. Sure. And I learned, and that happened to me a number of times, and I think it's happened to a lot of people in business. And so I've always, in looking at what I do now, I go into everything expecting the best, but also understanding that things may not always work out the way you are, and you have to be very flexible. That's one of the things that I wanted to build into the company that I have now, is that we can create products fairly quickly. We can get them into the market, but we can still maintain the quality and the uniqueness of the product.
0: Sure, sure. Well, the the internet these days and the worldwide connections we have allow us to do that in a way that has never happened in the past. And you can move so much faster now. Of course, that adds a whole other element of challenge for a company because you have to move fast. And if something's not selling, how do you stop that, pull it off, put something else new in and All those behind-the-scenes development take time. I worked for years in a company developing so many different product lines, and you're right. There's all these elements that can come into play that can derail you that you never even knew were coming, and they're completely out of your control, and your flexibility to work around those and work beyond them is certainly a huge challenge. So I'm sure that's what you discovered.
1: It is, but I also believe that what we're striving to do is to create something that's quite unique. My belief is now is that as, as you say, as the internet becomes and people buy things and and buy products almost that are, you know, they can, especially in fashion, that's disposable after a fairly short period of time, I believe that there is a niche for a company that can create something that is different, unique, and is made in smaller volumes as long as you're able to maintain that that edge in terms of having something that is unlike something that uh, someone can just go on Amazon and buy.
0: Well, and the quality is a key part of that, so that it becomes more lasting. Yes. And so people hold on to it longer. There's a more perceived value from where it came, so it's not disposable like you're talking about, because so many things in our lives today are disposable. I mean, even the phones we buy, you think of as a disposable tool, even though they're four to seven to thousand dollars a piece. So. Uh, yeah. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for a new path, a new direction. Tell us about an aha moment in your past.
1: Well, it actually is for this company, the Drivers Society. The aha moment came with actually in a conversation with a friend of mine who's English. And I'd read about the steering wheel club in London. Mm Mm-hmm. And the steering wheel club, if you're not familiar with it, was a private club that existed from the 19, late 40s, 50s, early 50s into the 1970s. And it was, the best way to say it, it was sort of the hangout for all the racing drivers Cool. when they were in London. And it was, and it was a place where they could go, have a good time, have a few drinks. And I, I being a person who dealt with brands and, and thinking about that, when, I, when he was telling me about it, because I'd read about it, but I wasn't sure what it was. The light went on in my head, and I thought, "Wow, what a cool thing to try and take that concept and turn that into a more modern business." Hmm. And so then, uh, unfortunately for me, I tried to trademark it, but it is actually it was trademarked by someone else. And I came up with the the idea of the driver's society, the name, and, the, and sort of the concept behind it. Yeah. But what I thought from you know learning about that little place that existed at, at one point was, you know, the genesis for this business. And that, that was an aha moment.
0: Very nice. Uh, taking an old element and then incorporating it into something new. Right. I like the whole concept. That's one of the fun things about learning here on Karja about people's businesses is how things came to be. So nice backstory. Well, let's talk a moment about a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you'd like to share with us today?
1: I think the the other thing is, is, is again, I'm going to go back to the driver society, and it, it, it is the idea of trying to create a curated brand. And when I say curated brand, rather than a company that is purely developing all of its own products, we try and look at where someone else, like a designer or a painter, is doing work, bringing those into our company and adapting their, um, adapting what they're doing, whether it be a design or whether it be a painting or whatever that is into our products. Mm. So that's when we're able to be able to successfully do that, that gives me a great deal of pleasure. I really enjoy doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, it's fun to do that collaboration with creative people and two creative minds together make an even better collaboration. So I love that mix of things. Very nice. Well, let's have a little bit of fun. And again, go back in time a little bit here. What was your first really special car and maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle
1: oh my first well i I was going to say my most special car and this is in a way it was so different from anything else that i don't it was my first really special car and that was a sort of ratty aston 1954
0: aston martin
1: db24 that i vintage raced and the car was, it just kept going no matter what. And we actually ended up naming it Rasputin because it was the car that would not die. <laughs> and probably the best moment for me is when I started racing it, I was sitting on the grid and I looked over and next to me was an Alpha that had run in the Mille Amelia. And I just thought, wow, this is just such fun. So great. And so that car really was special to me. It had a real soul, which I believe great cars do. Mm-hmm. And it was just a car that no matter it would be sitting in a in, in a in the pits, and people would. There was something about it that people were attracted to.
0: It's a great car. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great story. Well, how about sellers' remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you let go that you wish was back in your garage?
1: Oh, a Porsche 911 S. Oh, that I sold at a time when. You know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And and I still think about that car. And it was um, a wonderful car. Another one with great soul. Yeah. And I look at the prices today and I think, oh.
0: Well, I I share your pain, my friend. I had a 72S that I let go. Uh, And, uh, yeah, you look back. Although mine went to a, a good cause, paid for my son's college education. So no complaints there. But, yeah, they have great souls, wonderful cars. What year was yours?
1: It was a 73.
0: Oh, okay. So last year of the long hoods. Yep. And that's that category that, yeah, like you said, has become unobtainium price wise, just it's ridiculous served. numbers now. But, uh, yeah, they are wonderful, wonderful cars and, and great fun. Uh, yeah. I, you I, luckily I will say I drove mine a lot, went on many trips, taught both my kids had to drive a stick shift in that car. Uh, used to leave it overnight, drive it every day, park it everywhere. Now, if I owned it, I'd be afraid to drive it, I think, but, uh, so I had it at a good time.
1: It, it is, and that, and mine was the same way. We drove it. We drove it. It wasn't. A, it was not an everyday car, but we drove that car all, a lot. I mean, I'm thinking we did trips in it, and the same kind of thing. And the car was absolutely reliable.
0: Yeah, they're a great car. Once you get them tuned in and dialed in, they're fantastic vehicles. So, very nice. Well, I feel your pain. Well, <laughs> let's talk about to today and tomorrow. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the Driver Society. Explain a little bit more about the products that you offer your customers because there's some really cool things. And of course, we'll have a link to your website on your show notes sure. page here at Cars. Yeah. yeah, but what has you really excited and fired up today?
1: Well, the products right now are, as I said, they all have an automotive design theme or a, an historic racing theme. And, I, and I, what I say is they were inspired by. Mm-hmm. The Barani products, we actually use the aluminum from the Barani wire wheels that we source through the American um, Barani uh, distributor.
0: Nice.
1: Um, it's uh, Barani of America's is uh, through Motion Products in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And that then is cut down into very small pieces and recast as our products. And in, in, in that, we try to stay true to the the uh, knockoff design and to the wire wheel designs. And we sell cufflinks, we sell tie bars, we, uh, we're going to have money clips and key fobs coming out. Cool. And uh, we sell belt buckles. I mean, we have customers that send us photos of our belt buckles and they take off their, um, their buckle from their Hermes belt and put our belt buckle on and they think it's great, which is wonderful. Awesome. And then we have... Um, we look for relationships and all of our products, there is a compensation for the designs that that we create mm-hmm. and the products that we create. So as an example, and, and, and the reason why I bring that up is in, in a number of cases, some of the designs have been around for many years and there are people who knock them off. Um, we've made a really conscious decision to go to uh, the family members or to the owners of the companies that own those designs and to work out an agreement with them. So we have a profit-sharing agreement on every everything that we sell, That everything that's not our, our own design, but mm-hmm. if you're working with someone.
0: Right. Another
1: example is Les Leston, who I love this story about Les Leston. He was a British driver in the 1950s. He's quite a character. He um, was a racing driver that raced for Cooper and Astons. He raced a Lotus of his own. He was a jazz pianist. And was also quite the raconteur and was a BBC presenter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he his work as a racing driver was not that successful. So he opened up a shop in London. He um, was great friends with Graham Hill and Jochen and Rint, and had a shop where he sold. He was the first one to create Nomex or, or a fire not Nomex, but a fire retardant suit okay and had helmets and steering wheels and you can find Les lessen products on online uh-huh. but uh-huh. what we're doing is taking some of the pieces out of the Les lessen catalog um, with the permission of his family and creating our own Les lessen products
0: cool. so that's
1: an example of what we're doing our scarves we work with an artist in Athens who paints for she primarily paints sporting scenes mm-hmm. and she paints for the international olympic committee um she's done painting for some of the car companies like Lamborghini. Uh, and she did a series of Formula One paintings, which are very dramatic. And we've taken those, as I said, and and adapted those into scarves and pocket squares, uh, scarves for ladies and pocket squares for men.
0: Very nice.
1: And in the business now, we're, we're moving into art and objects. Because when I when I had the concept of the steering wheel club and, and then taking that to the driver's society, I've, I've always looked at the business, and I believe that there's potential there that it is more than just the accessories we're selling now. It, we hope to get into clothing, but even more so, it's art and objects. Um, mm-hmm. It's anything that could be in a physical space, like a uh, like a club. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be bringing out photography by the um, by Amy Shore, who's the person where we have uh, we use her photos on the site. Nice. Uh, we're creating bespoke pieces that are going to be coming out, and I can't. At this point, I can't say what those are, but they're really quite cool. Um, Using, again, parts from cars to make something quite unusual. (laughs) Awesome. So that's what's really got me jazzed about, you know, and I'm really excited about that part of the business right now.
0: Well, you should be. And looking at what you offer now, I'm, I'm very excited to see what's coming in the future because for us enthusiasts, it can only be cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Jim. If you were a car, what kind of car would Jim be and why?
1: Uh, Well, I have a great affinity for Aston's, You know, it's sort of that Brawny and bespoke. So I would, uh, you know, if I could be a car, I would probably want to be a DB4. Nice,
0: because it's
1: one of the most beautiful cars ever built. Yeah, uh, they are wonderful to drive.
0: Ah, they're beautiful. Yeah, fantastic cars. I've never had the luxury or pleasure of driving one, but it sounds like you have. Uh, How could you explain that driving experience in in a short little bit here?
1: Oh, I have a friend that has one that is. It's let's just say it's been tweaked, so it's it's quite a bit more lively than a standard DB4, mm-hmm. and it's just a wonderful car to drive on back roads. Mm. It they are a big car; it's not you know it's not a, a, a tiny sports car, but just to be out in that car, the noise it makes, that wonderful six cylinder engine, yeah, and it just sounds great. And <laughs> with one that's got a little bit more pep to it in the motor. It is just a, a great car to be out in.
0: Very nice. Jim's a DB4. I like that. Very cool. <laughs> well, Jim, up next is the last lap. But Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah! sponsors. Hey, Cars yeah! I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks. And their Seat Savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work Truck Seat Covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark, a Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipik. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer, an ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark.carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars yeah! website at carsyeah.com All right, Jim, we're back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick Blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Buy the absolutely best you can.
0: Ah, Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, It's buy the absolutely best you can, but also buy something that you really, really want. Yeah. And that's that's sort of the dichotomy. I think if you're a real enthusiast and you find something that you really care about, really want, um, but it may not be the best. I I actually believe you, you go for what you really love. And if you can buy the best of that, that's what you do.
0: I've had so many dealers, sellers and dealers and auctioneers from the classic and collecting car world that all say that exact same thing. Because, you know, if you get end up getting stuck with the car, at least you're stuck with something you have for a while. Uh, that usually goes haywire and you won't enjoy it anyway. So have some fun. Pick the car you love and buy the best you can afford. How about a personal habit? Is there one that you could share with us that you believe has helped contribute to your success?
1: Uh, I don't give up, and I have a great ability to think on
0: my feet. Nice. Tenacity, perseverance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very important. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources out there today, but is there one or maybe two you could share with our listeners?
1: Yes. I will say that I have some good friends that I go to. Um, that I bounce ideas off of, mm. and they have been great. They are enthusiasts, and they are people who are at different levels of their careers, their age, and their I'll, I'll say their financial resources, because they've been very good about helping me understand what would be product that someone might buy, mm. and something that someone might cherish and that's again that's really what we're trying to create is as you said something that that is different and that people really will want to hold on to
0: yeah so important to have those people around you surround yourself with strong people good mentors and so forth my uh, weekly blog here at Karjia yeah, i talked just about that specific thing a few weeks ago so now, how about a book is there a book that you've enjoyed that you think the cars yeah, listeners should read
1: oh yes one of my favorites, and this is a book that I'm not sure it's in print, you, It probably if it is, it's in paperback, mm-hmm. but it's called The Last Road Race, and it's by a guy named Richard Williams, and it's about the last Pescara Grand Prix. Wow. And it's wonderful because it takes place in the 50s. It was won by Sterling Moss, but they were literally driving Formula One cars on dirt roads and dodging goats, and it was just... <laughs> It, it, is, it really harkens back to a completely different time. It talks about how the drivers, and it's so obviously completely different than today, but how the drivers, how, how Tony Brooks and his wife used to drive the lorry that carried the cars down to the event to make some extra money to pay for him to go to dental school. Wow, It's just a completely different world than it is now, but it also kind of, it was a much more personal time. They all shared their Lives together. They had fun together. They went out together. And I just, it's a, it's a fun read. I really enjoyed it.
0: Well, that's the first time that book has been recommended. And it's so funny you mentioned the Pescara because one of my kind sponsors and a friend of mine is Tony Singer. He has a company, Vintage Auto com, And mm-hmm. Tony just yesterday sent me a poster that is insane that he has for sale. Uh, it features the, uh, August 1948 race, Circuito de Pescara. Mm -hmm. And it's a fantastic one. It was on an email I sent out to my subscribers the weekend before Halloween. It looks like a ghost is driving the car, the artist that did it. So it's fun. fun, so funny that you mentioned that event because I wasn't that aware of that event. I had to look it up and learn a little bit more about it. Very nice recommendation. And I'll remind our listeners that all these great resources that Jim's been so kind to share today will be on his very own show notes page at CarsYad.com slash Jim Hazen. Just type Jim Hazen, H-A-Z-E-N, in that search bar, and that page will pop up with all these links. And there's a great place on the Cars website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past 639 books before him, guest books before him are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Jim, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, something that you... Can't sell. You got to keep it. I want you to drive it. Enjoy it. But money is no object. So don't even bring that into your thought here today. What would that vehicle be and why?
1: It would be an Alpha 8C Monza. Ooh. And the reason is, well, I had the pleasure of being around one this year at the Vintage Festival. Actually, at, at 2 I've seen the car several times. Uh-huh. But at the Vintage Festival at Lime Rock, um, there's a gentleman who brings one out. And it's absolutely amazing. And it is very much a vintage car. But if you think about when that car was built, the majority of people were driving around in Model A Fords. Mm -hmm. This thing would have been sort of like a McLaren F1. I mean, it's like something from another planet. Mm -hmm. And the visceral sound, the excitement that thing creates, just even the power that you would feel driving that car, is just wonderful. I can't think of anything else other than maybe a Type 35 Bugatti. Yeah,
0: yeah. That
1: would be similar to it. Just a fantastic car.
0: I'm trying to think of that car. Is it a 31?
1: I believe so, yes. Yeah. I mean, for a couple of years. Yeah. But you know, it was raced by the greats of the day, and it was just such an amazing thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, what a special. I know which car you're talking about. It's a beautiful uh, 31 Alfa Romeo. I think it's a yeah Tipo AC Monza, like you call Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, actively race these days. So uh, you picked a nice car. That's going to cost me. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, took my breath away. But now, nice choice. Nice choice. Very, very cool. Well, Jim, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. I've loved learning more about the Driver's Society and about you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Car Show listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off on the racetrack in your very own Alpha Eight C Monza? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice thought, isn't I it? I think
1: yes, it is. <laughs> I think what I what I tell people if they're interested in cars is do whatever you can to get to the point where you can really enjoy your passion. And that may be um you get into the business and you really are close to it. Uh and by that I mean you participate in in whatever way you feel is best for you. Mm-hmm. Or you work at a job where you can make enough money to really enjoy it. But I I really feel, I mean, in a a period now where you hear that cars are going to become autonomous eventually and that people are not that excited about them anymore, I think what I try to encourage, especially younger people, is to get out and really enjoy something like an old Porsche if they can Mm -hmm. and drive a stick shift car and feel the difference between what today is a very almost like mundane task of driving and to really kind of get that visceral experience that you can from an old car and i just think it is something that is makes your life a lot more fun
0: oh definitely i've my listeners have heard this before i i taught both my kids how to drive a stick shift on my 72 911s porsche and uh, they'll always be able to talk about that for the rest of their lives that that's how they both learn how to drive a stick shift and uh amongst all their friends they're the very few that know how to drive a stick shift, yeah. so kind of a shame <laughs> yes. but great yes. advice what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the driver society
1: www.thedriversociety.com and also on our facebook page and our instagram page
0: well listeners i'd encourage you to check this out if you're not familiar with the driver society and jim you're going to love this site if you love cars this is your place to go. And, of course, the holidays are coming up, so drop those hints for those uh, spouses and partners and others of those who find you very hard to shop for, just like my wife does for me. I'm going to be circling some spots on that website. Awesome. Well, Jim, Thank thanks. You. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Jim, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing a little bit of time with me and with the Show listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. A lot of fun. No, no, no.